So our um, scripture reading and text uh, for this morning is from the Old Testament prophecy of Haggai. It's one of the um, so-called minor prophets near the end of the Old Testament. Haggai is the third last book of the Old Testament between Zephaniah and Zechariah. There are four messages from God to his people through Haggai found in this brief book. And today we're going to be looking at the second and third of these messages. This morning focusing on the second, this evening focusing on the third. So our scripture reading and text for this morning is the first nine verses of Haggai chapter 2. People of God, hear his word. In the seventh month, on the 21st of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, Is this not in your eyes as nothing? Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you, When you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. So far this reading of God's holy word. Brothers and sisters, your mom tells you to clean up your room, but it's such an unbelievable mess, you just don't know where to begin. Your boss gives you an extra responsibility, one you haven't been trained for, and you already feel like you don't have enough hours in the day to do what's expected of you. Your four-year-old child repeatedly and rebelliously 
does something that you've told him over and over again not to do, and the thought of having to raise this child for at least another 14 years, well, you don't know how you can possibly manage. Life can be overwhelming at times, can't it? We're confronted with mountains we can't possibly climb over. There's no way. It's too much to ask. The task is too hard, so we get frustrated. Or maybe become apathetic. We throw our hands up in the air and we just give up. You know, the people of Judah, at the time of the prophet Haggai, they had a task that they were called to do. One that looked to be extremely difficult. In fact, the job before them looked hopeless. They were supposed to rebuild the temple. The temple had been destroyed when the people had been taken away into exile decades earlier. But Cyrus, the leader of the Persian Empire, he allowed the Jewish people to return to Jerusalem and he even instructed them to rebuild the temple of the Lord, the God of heaven. It wasn't long, though, before the people were confronted with obstacle after obstacle. There was opposition from their enemies, they didn't have enough resources. And they were even threatened with starvation because of agricultural struggles. And so for a number of years, over 16 years in fact, the people did nothing. They let the job slide because it was just too much. As we read in Ezra 4 verse 24, Thus the work of the house of God which is at Jerusalem ceased. But then along came Haggai. He reminds them of their responsibility and encourages them to continue with their important calling. The Lord's house was not finished. And Haggai let them know that this was not acceptable. Now you might think, well, with all the problems that they were facing was... Rebuilding the temple? That much of a, a priority? Couldn't it wait? Health and safety. Just dealing with the necessities of life. That's what was important. Once that was taken care of, well, maybe then they could focus on more peripheral matters. But you have to realize, brothers and sisters, the work they were called to do was of utmost importance. As a matter of fact, rebuilding the temple was so important that the failure to do so could be considered as a violation, a serious violation of the covenant that God had established with his people. Disobediently breaking that covenant... God had made a promise to his people. He had promised to be their God. But by letting the temple remain in ruins, the people were not fulfilling their calling, their responsibility. 
to be his people. Ah, but you still can't help but wonder, was this such a big deal? Why was Haggai getting so worked up about rebuilding something for a God who is so great, so infinite, who fills heaven and earth, and infinitely beyond, who cannot possibly be confined to some puny building built by man. Ah, but brothers and sisters, you have to remember the significance of the temple. The temple was where God dwelled among his people. It was where God was present with his people. Now, don't misunderstand this, all right? It wasn't like, okay, the people lived over there, and God lived over there in the temple. The temple was not God's home address. Rather, the temple symbolized how he was always with his people wherever they were. God revealed himself there in a unique way. He had fellowship with his people there. And the people of that time, they needed this temple. They needed the physical reality of that building so that God could, as verse 8 of chapter 1 in Haggai says, take pleasure in it and be glorified. But now that brings up another question, doesn't it? Why did God allow the house that represented fellowship with his people, why did he even allow it to be destroyed in the first place? Why did God allow Solomon's temple to be destroyed when his people were sent into exile? Well, the thing is, God's presence among his people in the temple, you could say that this presupposed a proper covenant relationship with them. And a good relationship with them meant he would be their God and they would be his people. Now, as for God being their God, that was a given. He was the God who would always be faithful to his promises. But what about the other side of the relationship? Well, the people were always demonstrating disobedience. They were always breaking the relationship with their constant sinning. So really, how could they expect that the temple would continue to be the place of God's covenant presence among them? God then showed his displeasure with them, his judgment on them for their sinfulness by allowing the temple to be destroyed. So when God in his providence cleared the way for his people to be restored, brought them home from exile, they needed to show that their relationship with God was their number one priority. They needed to show that they were committed to serving him in obedience. And part of this meant rebuilding the temple that represented God's presence among them. So rebuilding the temple was crucial. And for a time, the people seemed to realize this. 
you look back to the first chapter of Haggai, Haggai's initial message from the Lord, it seemed to get through to the people. Verse 14 of Haggai 1. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. You could say that the people experienced a revival. Sadly, though, the renewed enthusiasm didn't last. It seems that problems didn't go away, and it seems the people didn't have what was necessary to overcome their problems. One problem, for instance, the temple that was being built then would not really compare in glory to the old temple that had been destroyed. We read in verse 3 of chapter 2, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? You know, brothers and sisters, visiting the URC Synod this past week was like a trip down memory lane for me personally. I happened to be there in a congregation which at that time was independent when the URC got started and it was great to fellowship again this week with some of the others who were involved in all of that as well. But it was rather striking how there were so many at Synod there this year whom I'd never seen before. And the ones I did know they were all getting old. Well, it was a considerably longer time for the people in Haggai's day since the time that the temple had been destroyed. And so the people who remembered what the old temple looked like, they were really old. And given what the people had gone through being sent into exile, there couldn't have been too many of them who lived to that age. Yet, there were enough of them to remind the younger people what the former temple was like. And when comparing the former temple to what could be seen of the work being done on the rebuilt temple so far, well, the new temple did not hold all that much promise. And Haggai knew it. Now, it's not that the new temple was going to be so much smaller. In fact, when you compare the dimensions of the old temple to the new temple, it seems the new temple was even going to be bigger. And it wasn't that everything from the old temple had been lost. We read in Ezra chapter 1, after reading about Cyrus instructing the Jewish exiles to go home and rebuild the temple, King Cyrus also brought out the articles of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem and put in the temple of his gods. And Cyrus, king of Persia, brought them out by the hand of Mithridath, the treasurer, 
and counted them out to Shezbazar, the prince of Judah. Besides all of that, we also read in Ezra 1 about the exiles receiving financial help from their neighbors. Ezra 1 verse 6, And all those who were around them encouraged them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with precious things, besides all that was willingly offered. Still, as much as was coming back, much of what had made the old temple great, it was gone. It wasn't just Nebuchadnezzar who had plundered the old temple. Many sacred objects had been lost, like probably most significantly the Ark of the Covenant. And perhaps it wasn't just about resources, it was also about talent. They just didn't have access to the same quality of skilled craftsmen that Solomon had. The temple just wouldn't be the same. And so only a month after the people started work on the temple again, they needed some more motivation, it seems. They needed a, another push. <laughs> they needed another reminder to keep on with the task that they were called to do. Thus, once again, Haggai reminds the people of their responsibility in the message, which is our Old Testament reading and text for this morning. Haggai tells them to keep on it. Verse 4 of Haggai chapter 2. Now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all of you people of the land, says the Lord, and work. Be strong and work. Be strong and do the task that you were called to do. Get going on it. You might think Haggai was being a bit hard on the people, although it was, of course, the Lord saying all of this. Is the Lord being hard on them, calling them to Perform such a difficult task. Be strong and work. Get to work, you lazy so-and-sos. And yet, and yet, God, through the prophet Haggai, in the message we're considering this morning, he does so much more than just tell the people to get to work. In fact, he gives them immense, immense encouragement in their task. The main purpose of this message really is to give the people a basis for hope. And with this hope strengthening them, the people would be able to get on with their work. They could know that the work could and would be done. Look at the end of verse 4 and verse 5. Work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This was the reason why they were able to get on with the reconstruction of the temple. God was with them. His spirit was among them, enabling them to do what had to be done. Notice also here, 
how the Lord reminds them again of what he had done for their ancestors in the past, what he had done for them in the past. He was with them when they came out of Egypt. He brought them out of the land of slavery. He took the initiative of establishing his covenant with them. God reminds them of his ongoing covenant faithfulness. And thus being reminded, the people could be assured of his continuing into the future, his covenant faithfulness. They could know that the God who had remained faithful in the past would be faithful into the future. And so they did not need to fear because God would be with his people. And God continues to give encouragement and assurance in verses 6 through 9 of chapter 2. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Once more it is a little while. I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. The, the Jewish people, they did not have to worry about having enough resources to complete the task that was before them. Because all the resources in the world belong to God. He is the Lord Almighty. He conquers over all of his enemies. The spoils go to him. The precious things would come. And the temple would be restored to a measure of glory. And in fact, that physical temple was restored. Four years after the message of Haggai to the people of Judah, work in the temple was completed. As we read in Ezra 6, verses 14 through 16. So the elders of the Jews built and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah, the son of Edu. And they built and finished it according to the commandments of the God of Israel, and according to the command of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Now the temple was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, which was in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. Then the children of Israel, the priests, and the Levites, and the rest of the descendants of the captivity celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. They did it because God was with them and God promised to help them. But you know, brothers and sisters, the prophecy in our text from Haggai 2, while this prophecy was initially fulfilled in the rebuilding of the physical temple, at the same time, we have to realize that there's also another meaning behind this prophecy as well. This message from the Lord, it would be further fulfilled when Jesus Christ came. In the life and death and resurrection 
and ascension of Christ, the glory of the temple was even more fully realized, infinitely more. In fact, Christ fulfilled the purpose of the Old Testament temple because in Christ all the fullness of God dwelt. In Christ we have Emmanuel, God among us, God living among his people. In Christ God revealed himself so ultimately to his people. Christ is the glorious temple. And there's even more. Even more. In the present age, Christ lives in his people through his spirit. So that we, the church of Christ, we are now said to be the temple. Christ dwells in us through the Holy Spirit. And so now the glory of the temple is realized in us. Christ brings the desired of the Gentile nations into his church, which is his glorious body. Never forget, brothers and sisters, to quote R.B. Kuyper, the church is the glorious body of Christ. And the prophecies made in our text, they will be even more fully realized the prophecy will be completely fulfilled when Jesus Christ comes again at the end of history. Verse 9 talks about how the Lord will give peace. The Hebrew word, of course, being shalom. The Lord will bring shalom. Perfect shalom, perfect peace, perfect Sabbath awaits the coming of Christ and God will dwell among his people so fully and completely. Listen to what Revelation 21 verse 3 says about the fullness of salvation that will be ours when Christ returns. Behold, the dwelling of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them. God himself will be with his people, giving them perfect peace, eternal peace. And that, brothers and sisters, will be the ultimate splendor, the greatest glory of all. But something that we hope for, hope for with conviction, something that we long for. And brothers and sisters, knowing how the fulfillment of God's promises await us, this then encourages us to complete the tasks that are set before us. Just as the Jewish people of the time of Haggai received encouragement to complete the task of rebuilding the temple, so we can receive encouragement as we live out our calling as the living temple of the Lord. God has been with us. He is with us even now. And he will continue to be with us right up until the time Christ returns. God is the faithful covenant 
God. He has established and he will continue to establish the glory of his temple. You know, it's, it's so, so easy to let the problems in this world overwhelm us to the point of inaction, like it overwhelmed the people in Haggai's day. It's so easy to, for one thing, look at our own sinfulness and how sinful others in the church are. It's so easy to look at how sinful our society is and think, what can I do about it? It's hopeless. Why even bother trying? The forces of darkness are everywhere. They seem to be winning so many battles. That's certainly the case back home in Australia, and I understand that's the case here in Canada as well. The world becomes more and more anti-God. God defines marriage. The world says we don't accept that, and we'll come up with our own definition, which is not marriage at all. God creates us male and female, and the world rejects this and says, you can be whatever made-up gender you want to be. God says, do not fear. And the world says, be afraid. It's easier to control you when you're afraid. And God says, I will hold you and keep you. And the world says, the government must protect us. We put our trust in princes. The spirit of anti-God, anti-Christ is alive and well. Some weeks ago in Australia, I was listening to a podcast out of Canada. Thank you, where a Canadian pastor was using this sort of language, and he was right on the money, back there and over here. And so we're overwhelmed. We're overwhelmed by it, and we're inclined to to give up and, and give in and... And the church gets put to the side. It becomes less of a priority. And even going to church is considered a non-essential activity. And so many Christians are okay with that. We we lose our salt. We, We lose our light. But the word of God comes to us. Calling us to repent. Calling us to live the new life in Christ calling us as God's people to action, the simple action of fighting the good fight of faith in love and peace. Be strong, take courage, and work. Do the work of the Lord. Do what He wants you to do. Be what He calls you to be. Live with purpose as followers of the risen Savior. Do what you're called to do, As God's people, his church, show those around you that there is a truth that's that's far greater than the lies they're told every day. There is meaning in being Christian boys and girls, men and women, husbands and wives, in living simple lives of godliness redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. There is hope in putting our trust in God alone, the God who saves us, We want others to join with us in celebrating that hope with us, putting their trust in God alone. And and so the call goes out to you. Just as it went out to the people of Israel in the time of Haggai. Be strong, people of Bowmanville. Be strong, people of God. 
When troubles surround you, when the the task of being a Christian, of being his church, when it appears to be too overwhelming, when it appears that the church will, will never be restored to some former glory that you imagined it had in the past, when the good that God calls you to do appears to be too difficult to do, nonetheless, be strong, be strong. And work. Not because you have this strength in yourself. That you're so capable. You have all you need to be to be successful Christians and build a successful church. No. No. But because God is the faithful covenant God. He has saved you in Christ. He strengthens you by His Spirit. He dwells among His people and He continues His work until the end He has determined. And the glory of the triune God will be completely revealed and we'll revel in it forever. We'll dwell in Him and He in us now and forever. We will know His peace now and forever. Nothing will be able to stop his plan. And so nothing should stop us from doing all we're called to do to serve him here and now and forever. Praise his holy name. Thanks be to him. We can be strong in him. Amen.